You know, one of the challenges in life, and this is, not, this is for all of us, is to try to discern what God's will is, what God wants us to do. You know, that's true if you're buying a house, you want to buy the right house. If you're buying a car, you want to buy the right car. If you're thinking about taking a new job or maybe making a, a major decision on a relationship, you want to get those decisions right. And I don't know how it is with you, but sometimes for me, it's not always easy to know exactly what God's will is. And that's a process. And, and we're not perfect. And sometimes, sometimes we don't get it right. And for me as a preacher, I feel that each week as I'm preparing sermons or when it's my time to preach anyway, I feel that way because when I'm standing up here for, for 30 or, or 35 or for 36 or for 37 or for 38 minutes, hopefully not longer than that, you know, I don't want to just talk to hear myself talk. I know what I sound like, uh, and I don't want to just talk to hear my opinions. I know what I believe. I want during my part of the service to say what, what God wants me to say. And so that's a real thing for me. You know, most of the time, my dad and I both, we would normally preach, and we do normally preach through books in the Bible, so that when we wake up on Monday morning, we're not having to dream up ideas to preach on. We just go to the next part of the book. We've been in Revelation for over a year and a half studying through that book. It's been interrupted at different times with the pandemic and other things. But, you know, even if you are an, what's called an expository preacher like we are, that is where we take the Bible, we open the Bible, we read a passage, and we say this is what the Bible says. That's the best way to preach as opposed to having an idea and then just trying to find a verse to go along with your ideas. You want your sermons to come out of the Bible. And really the best way to do that is just to teach through books. Or if not books, maybe teach through topics or themes in the Bible. But to get your sermon from the Bible. But if you're, even if you're an expository preacher, that doesn't mean that you can cease being sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit as you're trying to prepare these sermons. In other words, I can't just say to God, okay, God, for the next year and a half, I'll be preaching through Revelation, and I'm just going to go, you know, each week I'll just preach on what I didn't get to the week before. And so, God, for the year and a half, next year and a half, I don't have to worry about what I'm preaching. An expository preacher who takes that approach to preaching will be preaching the Word of God, but I'll tell you what he won't have. Those sermons will not have the same freshness of the Spirit of God that they would have if the preacher said, God, I'm preaching through Revelation because I felt like that's what you led me to do. But if at any point in this series you want me to preach on something else, your spirit, speak to my spirit, and I'll go whatever you tell me to do. A couple of weeks ago as I was preparing, as I said last week on New Year's Day, I read 2 Chronicles 15. And when I read that chapter about when the, the, the prophet, the man of God, went to King Asa and said, Asa, I have a word from God for you. And the word from God for you is, no matter what you face in life, stay with God. And not only that, be strong, trust God, strong in your faith. And not only that, you serve God with all of your heart. I knew when I read 2 Chronicles 15 that day that God had given me my marching orders for the new year. That as I began 2021, God was saying to me, John, you stay with me. You be strong in your faith, whatever happens this year. And you serve me with all of your heart. And I knew that God had spoken that to me. 
And as I went through last weekend, I felt like God say, John, take a break in Revelation and stand up there Sunday and explain that is not only my word for you, that is my word for the people listening in the room, for the people listening at home, that as we begin a new year in perilous times, in the midst of a pandemic, all kind of craziness happening, what, the peop- what my people need to do is to stay with me, to be strong, and to serve me with all their heart. And so last week, that was our sermon out of 2 Chronicles 15. And my intention, even when I stood up here last week preaching that sermon, was that today we would go back to Revelation, back to our study of heaven. I've got a sermon I've prepared. I don't know when the Lord's going to let me preach it on what we're going to do when we get to heaven. And we've talked about that some, but I have more. But this week, as I was thinking towards this day, as best as I can sense the Spirit of God, and as I said a moment ago, we don't always get it right. Just because you love God and seek God, we're not perfect. The Bible is inerrant. There are no errors in the Bible, but we're not. We're fallible people. And sometimes in seeking to obey God, we accidentally disobey God, but he covers us in those instances because he knows our heart is right. But as best as I can understand the leadership of the Holy Spirit, God has impressed strongly on my heart that just as last week was a day for us to camp out in Second Chronicles 15, today is a day for us to camp out right next door to that in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. And so if you'll open your Bibles to that book, most of us don't spend much time in 2 Chronicles, and yet we're here again today. And in a few weeks, I want to do a sermon again out of 2 Chronicles in chapter number 20 entitled, How to Win a Battle. And I look forward to that. But this sermon today is entitled, One Degree Off. Because as we continue our study about the godly king Asa, who is the king of Judah, we see that this man, on at least two occasions, his faith was one degree off, or his faith may have been more than one degree off. But sometimes in our lives, our faith can be off by one degree in one direction or another. And it doesn't matter how much you love God or how close you are to God, this can happen. Now, you're going to 2 Chronicles 16. On your way there, look in chapter 14 and verse number 2, because I want you to mark this verse. The Scripture says, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. So this was a good king. Many of the kings you read about in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles were evil, wicked men. But some of them were good, and Asa was one of the good ones. Now look in chapter 15 and verse 17. Notice the very last sentence of that verse. It says, Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. And so we're studying about a man whose heart was towards God, whose heart was tender toward God. And yet, even King Asa, his faith was not always perfect, nor is ours, and he got it one degree off. Now, you know, when you think about something being one degree off, that doesn't sound like a big deal. I mean, one degree off is not as bad as being 45 degrees. It's not as bad as being 180 degrees off, one degree But you know as well as I do that one degree, depending on what it is, can make all the difference in the world. Most of us right now, if they took our temperature, it would say 98.2, 98.4, 98.6. 98.6 used to be considered average temperature. That came from a study in Germany many years ago. More recent studies have said that the average American, healthy, has a temperature 
maybe 98.2 to 4 right in there somewhere. But in that range, we feel normal. We feel great. We have energy. You let that temperature go up by one degree, and now you're 98.5, 98, or 99.5, 99.6. One degree, you've lost your appetite. You have lost your energy. You don't want to get off the couch. If you're like me, when my temperature goes up one degree, I want to call my mama and ask her to help me out. Mama, I'm in pain over here. Can you pray for me? Well, hey, when our temperature is up by one degree, we want our mamas. We want somebody to give us some sympathy, right? Well, one degree off makes a difference. If you're an airplane pilot, some of you may be, you know that if you're on a trip and you're one degree off, that can be catastrophic. I I was reading about this last week. Uh, and, and airplanes pilots certainly know this. There's a rule in navigation called the one in 60 rule. And if you're off by just one degree, for every 60 miles that you travel, you will miss your destination by one mile. So if you get on a plane today and you're go- making a 60-mile flight, you're one degree off, well, when you, when you get to where you're trying to go, you're going to miss your destination, but only by a mile. It's not terrible. You could still correct that and find that airport and land that plane. But if you were an airplane pilot today flying out of JFK Airport in New York City and you were headed to Tokyo International Airport in Japan... That flight is 6,755 miles. And if you left JFK one mile off to the right or to the left, either way, you, when you get to where you think you're going, you will have missed that airport by 112 miles. If you were off this way, you're going to be over the Pacific Ocean. If you are off this way by one degree, you're going to be over the Sea of Japan. But the worst thing is you're probably not going to have enough fuel to make it to the airport in Tokyo. The point is if you're one degree off and you're not going far, it's not that big a deal. But if you're one degree off on something, the longer you go, the bigger deal it becomes. Which says to us, if our faith in any area is one degree off to the right or to the left, may not matter today, may not matter tomorrow, may not matter next week, but if our faith stays off, there will come a day when it will matter because when our faith is off, we feel it down the road when we have a crisis or a tragedy or something big in our lives. Now, King Asa, and I just ask you even now, as I prepare to preach this sermon, you say, well, I thought you were already preaching this sermon. What have you been doing up there for the last 10? I'm kind of laying the groundwork for it to preach the sermon. But King Asa, as I prepared this sermon, in my notes, I have five different areas where King Asa's, well, two di- for him, two different areas where his faith was off, but I wanted to talk to us today about five different ways where our faith can be off. But in the first service, and I'm feeling it now in this service, I just want to deal with the first of those areas, but you would do me a favor as you're listening to the sermon, following in your Bible, just as we go through the next 15 to 18 minutes here together, if you silently would just breathe up a prayer or two for me, and say, God, I don't know what John is trying to say. I don't know what, where he's going in this, but help him to be sensitive to the Spirit. Because what we're about to get into today in the study of King Asa on this first and only point for this sermon is going to be how his faith was off one degree in the area of politics. And so I want to talk about that. I am not a political preacher. I am a Jesus preacher. 
You know, the word preacher is not even in vogue anymore. People don't want to be called preachers. They want to be called speakers because that's cool. Well, I guess I'm a speaker in the sense that I'm speaking, but in my definition, a speaker is something you plug in the wall. A preacher is something a man is when he stands up there in front of a group of people. The Bible is people want to be called a communicator. Well, I mean, I, I, I want to be a good communicator, but God did not call me primarily to be a speaker or a communicator. He called me to be a preacher of the gospel so that when I stand before a group of people here anywhere else with an open Bible in my hand, I can say with confidence, this is not what John thinks. This is not what John's opinion is. This is not John's take on the issue. This is the word of God. And that's what a preacher does. He preaches the word of God. And today when I was home this morning and I woke up and I was thinking about the day, and I, I've, I've been, this sermon's been prepared since middle of the week, and, and I've been excited about it. And, and we've even got graphics. We were going to show you when we got, I, 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 to me, I thought the strength of this sermon was the fifth point. Because when we get to the fifth point, we're going to be talking about how sometimes our faith can be off spiritually speaking. Instead of trusting Jesus to save us, we're trusting somebody else to save us or something else or ourselves to save us. We had a graphic, and we'll show you that in the weeks to come. But I just, when I woke up this morning, I just felt like God impressed strongly upon my heart. John, we're living in a politically charged environment. We're living in unprecedented times. Things are happening that have never happened. And no, you're not a political preacher. No, you're not running for office. And none of that. You're a Jesus preacher. But stand up there today with a the Bible in your hand and tell them my opinion on what is happening in the world today. So that's what I'm about to try to do. When I wake up in the mornings, this morning or any morning, I do not consult my phone first. Because if I go straight to my phone, normally there's text and voicemails. And so those texts and those voicemails will dictate how I spend the early hours of my morning if I go to my phone first. When I wake up in the morning, I don't go to my phone. I go to the Lord and I say, Lord, this is the day. When my radio went off this morning, my alarm clock went off, the song they were playing today on the radio, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad. Out of Psalm 118, 24, and I said, yes, God, this is the day that you have made. This is the day you have allowed me to go to the church, to open the Bible, and to show the people your word for them, for their lives, your word for me, for my life. And God, of all the things I could possibly be doing in my life, and all the places I could possibly be today, there's nowhere I would rather be, and there's nothing I would rather be doing than going to the First Baptist Church in Pasadena with an open Bible to say, this is the word from God. That was me. I was lying in my bed this morning thinking about that, meditating on that. And I like, when I wake up in the morning, I've told you before, I'm not a morning person. Sometime when I get up in the morning, I have a hard time getting that bed off my back. And this morning I was lying there and I was thinking, I don't want to get up. It's cold outside, even my house. I needed to get the heat up a little more. I want to just stay in bed a little bit longer. And I did. And I thought and I meditated and finally got out of bed. I consulted my phone to see what was happening in the world. And I had received a text message from a man named David Hardage, and that name may or may not mean anything to you. He is the head of Texas Baptist. He's the executive director of what used to be called the Baptist General Convention of Texas. Now it is Texas Baptist, and he's a longtime friend of our family. When my dad left First Baptist Church in Sulphur Springs 31 years ago to come to Pasadena, Dr. Hardage followed him there and became the pastor. 
And now he's the head of the, uh, of the state work for Texas Baptist. And he had me a text today, personal text, not a text he sent out to every preacher in Texas, a personal text. And he said, John, I just want you to know that I have already prayed for First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas this morning. And when I saw the text, because I know him well and I know his heart for God and he loves our church, I thought, God, is this a confirmation? In fact, I thought, God, I believe this is a confirmation that this morning I'm supposed to talk about this political thing. And, and, and I text David back and I said, that is a timely prayer because today I'm going to try to address not all, but some of what is happening politically in the country. But I'm not, I'm not a political preacher. I'm not gonna, I don't want to turn it into a political sermon, but I want to use the word of God to address this. And he texts me back. He said, that is a much needed word for this day. And so God today in my own spirit used the head of Texas Baptist to confirm, and then I came to church and I said to my dad, because he's the pastor, I can't come in here. I said, Dad, I never want to, and he's so easy on me, but I, I said, Dad, I don't want to preach something that you don't want me to deal with. And he said, what do you think about saying? And I told him, he said, John, that's, that's straight from the Bible. He said, you follow God, you preach the Bible, you do that. So I feel, to, I'm, I'm taking a long time to set this up. I won't be as long on the meal as I am on the preparation for the meal. But I'm saying today, as much as I have ever believed in my heart that I have, just like last week, 2 Chronicles 15, stay with God, be strong, serve Him with all your heart. Today, out of chapter 16, we have in our hands and with our eyes today a fresh word from God how our faith, if we're not careful, can be off, politically speaking, to the right or to the left. And God wants it to be right on the money. Now, let's look at it. Second Chronicles 16, and let's see what happened to King Asa. Verse number 1. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came upon Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. And so the king of Israel, which was right next to Judah, has now barricaded the Ju- Asa and his kingdom in. They can't go out. Nobody else can come in, and it's not a good situation. Verse 2, then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and went to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come and break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Ijon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. And so now Asa has formed this alliance with the king of Syria to protect himself from the king of Israel. And after they form this alliance, the king of Israel backs off. And he said, now I'm not just attacking one country, I'm attacking two. And so Asa must have been thinking, that was a pretty good alliance. I'm glad that I hooked up with him. Verse 6, then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah, which Basha had used for building. And with him, they built Geba and Mizpah. So things are looking really good for Asa now. He's taking what others had built to try to work against him, and it looks like it all worked out good. But look in verse number 7. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to the seer, just another word for a prophet. This is a man of God. He came to Asa, king of Judah, 
and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. The man of God said, Asa, you've made a colossal mistake. Your faith is one degree off. Instead of trusting God, you trusted the king of Assyria. You've put your faith in the wrong place. Look in verse number 8. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet, because you relied on the Lord, he delivered you into their hand. In other words, the, the prophet saying, you had another time in your life when you got in a political mess, but in that instance, you trusted in God and God bailed you out. You should have trusted God this time. Verse 9, this is one of the classic verses of the Old Testament. If you're only going to memorize one verse out of 2 Chronicles, this would be your verse. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this, you have done foolishly. So the prophet is saying, Asa, you love God. Your heart is loyal to God. But in this instance, you've not been loyal to God. You've relied on somebody else. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. What I want you to see from Asa's life before I pull this into the modern day, Asa got into a situation politically. And instead of trusting God, he trusted the king of Syria. Say it another way. He trusted the king of Syria when he should have trusted the king of heaven. And God called him on it. And God sent his prophet to tell him what he had done was wrong. Now, the point is, and the only point of this sermon today, sometimes our faith can be one degree off, one way or another, in the world of politics. Politically speaking, it can be one way off. Let me give you a couple of examples on that, how that can happen. First of all, some people, their faith is off in the sense that they are totally anti-politics. They just, they just don't like politics. In other words, for them, they would rather there be no government, no president, no governor, no senators, no congressmen, no mayors, just no government, just mob rule. No police, just chaos, just mob rule. And we saw last week at the Capitol how that happened. Here's a group of people that is unhappy with how the election turned out. And so what they're doing is saying, we, now, we no longer like how the government is functioning, so we're going to just overthrow the government. And they go in, and it's unthinkable what happened. As I mentioned last week, I was doing the media fast on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I got a phone call from Rick Lipsy here at the church on Wednesday. He said, I'm glad you're on the media fast because what's happening on TV would be stressing you out right now. It stressed everybody out. And as my dad said, it broke everybody's heart. When I saw it later in the week, I just, I, I, like, I like you, could not believe that that was happening. But there's some people who just, they're anti the government. Now, friend, let me say this from the Bible. This is not John's opinion, because remember, I'm a preacher. I preach what's in this book. According to the Bible, God has instituted the government. That doesn't mean we always agree with the government, not at all. But you cannot be fundamentally opposed to something that God has ordained. And so what we need to do when it comes to the government, we don't need to be anti the government. What we need to do is to pray for our leaders. We need to vote our convictions. 
And not only that, some of you may need to run for political office. You really might. God may call you. We have political leaders in this service right now in our city. And God may call some of you to get into politics. Remember what Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And so the light, we're not just the light of the church and the salt of the church, the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We have to get the salt out of the salt shaker. God may call some of you to run for office. And it would be a wonderful thing to have more and more Christian people in those places of leadership. But the point I'm making here is as children of God, it is not only criminal, but it is sinful what happened the other day. And, and I know you all agree with that. Nobody could disagree with that. To try to overturn a government because of, uh, you know, the, the ration, because of the, the election deal. That to try to overturn that, that is wrong. And so I'm encouraging you today, let's pray for our leaders and let's support them and encourage them and, and vote our conscience and vote our convictions and vote the Bible and always stand on the word. But don't be one of those people that's just anti and that hates the government because God put the government, God put law enforcement, God put all these things in place and we should have a grateful uh, submissive spirit so long as they're not asking us to do something that violates our, our, our faith or our, you know, the teachings of Scripture. Okay, so that's the first way you can have your faith off, just anti-government. Now, the other way, and I think honestly, in the day in which we live today, for those of us who are Christians and for those of us who, are, who believe the Bible and, and would, like me, I'm as conservative as they come. Probably nobody here today is more conservative than I am. Ask any of my family or friends. I'm, very, I'm not only conservative politically, I'm conservative in my life. I'm conservative in my dress. I'm, conser- I'm, just, I'm just conservative. I'm just, I just play everything kind of close to the vest. It's just kind of how I am. Well, I think for those of us like me, the, the danger for us would be not that we're anti the government, but we would have the, the attitude that says, you know what? We're on the other extreme of that, being anti the government. What we're going to do, we're going to just put all our eggs in the basket of politics, and we're going to put all of our energies to try to get all the people who have our convictions and the biblical convictions, we're going to try to get all of them in office, which I believe we should. But if we're not careful, we can say in our minds, if we just have enough of the right people in office then all of the problems in America will be solved. And what I'm saying to you today, and much more importantly, what God is saying to you today is political people, no matter how biblical their policies may be, cannot, cannot, never have, never will, and cannot now solve spiritual problems. For spiritual problems... We turn not to politicians, we turn to the Lord. And this whole attitude of, if we just had all the right laws on the books, that America would be a better place. Let me say this, if we had all the right laws on the book, America would be a better place. But friend, don't lose your your, your rationale as you make that statement. You tell me, what nation in the history of the world had the best laws on the book? I'll tell you, Israel, the laws they had on their book was the Old Testament. There are 613 laws that they were given from God. They had the right laws. 
And yet God looked down from heaven and in essence said to them, you have all the right laws, but your heart is not right. In some cases, people were even obeying the laws. And yet God said, you're obeying the laws externally. You're going through the motions of doing what I've asked you to do. But your heart is in a spirit of rebellion. And God is always after the heart. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus took the Old Testament law to a higher level. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And you shouldn't. It's just wrong to do that. But Jesus said, but I say to you, there's more to it than that. There's more to it than the physical act of adultery. If you have lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery in my mind, in my eyes. And so God is always after the heart. What did Jesus say to those who were going through the motions of public worship? He said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I wonder in this service today, you talk about a preacher, you talk about what a preacher ought to say. I wonder in this service today when God was looking down and listening to that beautiful music, I mean beautiful music, you can't find music more beautiful than that. I wonder if God could have said of anybody in our midst or of anybody watching at home today, the music is beautiful, the songs are lovely, all of that is absolutely fantastic, but I'm looking deeper than to what I'm hearing and I'm looking into your heart and I can tell your heart is far from this place. Your heart is what's happening in, what's happening in Washington. Your heart is in what you're going to do this afternoon. Your heart is in that investment. Your heart is in that relationship. Your heart's a thousand miles from here. The music is beautiful. But God says, I don't call it worship. God says, I'm glad you enjoyed it, but it meant nothing to me. Now, I'm not saying he said that. I'm saying if our hearts are not in it, in it if it's not from our heart, it, listen, when it comes to worship, if it doesn't mean anything to you, it doesn't mean anything to God. Now, that's just about as, that's what a preacher's supposed to say. I'm not normally quite that strong, but I'm just telling you that's what a man and God's supposed to say, and that's what I am saying. And so some of us would be guilty not of being anti the government. Some of us would be guilty of saying, yeah, let's just, if, let's just, it's all about politics. And that's why I'm saying I'm not in, in my heart a political preacher because I don't believe that the answer to what ails our country will be solved with any election no matter who the religion, if Billy Graham were still living and we made him to be the president of the United States, just putting Billy Graham in the White House would not solve the problems in America today because the problems in America today are not primarily political. The problems in America today are primarily spiritual and spiritual problems need a spiritual solution and that spiritual solution must come from God. So when we say, oh, we've got to work harder and get our people in Austin and we've got to get our people in Washington and well, we ought to get, we ought to vote our conviction and get whoever God wants to be in these positions. Yes, certainly. I've never backed down from our convictions, but I'm saying if our faith is there, our faith is one degree off. And if we as the people of God have our faith politically one degree off, I'm telling you, the farther we go, the worse it's going to get. 
One of my concerns today in, in Christianity, in pastors with a greater influence than I have, is that as I listen to many of them deal with the political things today, they leave their congregation with the impression, they leave anybody who's listening with the impression, if we can just change Washington, we can change the world. And I'm telling you, our help, our hope, our healing is not coming from Washington. Our help, our hope, our healing is coming from heaven if we're to have help, hope, and healing at all. As I was lying in bed this morning, I was just thinking about all this. I got that text from David, and I thought, I know God is telling me to say this. And I started thinking about, I think this is as far as I go, as political as I go, but I will tell you this, and I think, I've said this before. My favorite president ever was George H.W. Bush. Houstonian, but he was my favorite before I moved, we moved down here. He was the first president that I ever got to vote for in the fall of 1988. I liked him. I liked Miss Bush. I liked the fact that they were family people. I liked the fact that, that every Sunday they went to church, and every Sunday for lunch he grilled hamburgers in the backyard. Now, something about that just made me, I thought, this guy's like the rest of us. He's normal. And he told his kids when they were young, bring your friends. Just tell me in advance how many hamburgers I need to prepare. But lunch is at our house on Sunday. In 1988, when he was running for office, I believe it was at the National Convention when he was giving his acceptance speech of the nomination, he made a statement that stuck with me, and I want to end with his statement today. He said, I dream of a, and then here's what he said, of a kinder, gentler nation. Now, at that time, I was 18, 19 years old, and when you're young like that, and even in your 20s, or maybe even in, into some of your 30s, you, you tend to have so much zeal and passion and conviction that while all those things are good, sometimes the kindness and the gentleness gets left out. And so back then, when it came to, say, politics or things like that, I, I was probably more, more known for my zeal and passion than I was for my kindness and gentleness if I just ever really got into a conversation with somebody on politics. And yet, even then, that rang true to me. A kinder, gentler nation. As I was thinking about that this morning, and I hadn't planned on sharing that, but I thought, you know... Now, I know we all agree with this next statement I'm going to make because it's just right out of the Bible. Any movement, whether it's on the left, whether it's on the right, whether it's down the middle of the road, <laughs> any movement, political or otherwise, that is void of love, kindness, and gentleness has departed from the pages of the New Testament. What does it say in Ephesians chapter 4? Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. What did Paul say in Philippians chapter 4 down in verse 5? Let your, watch this, gentleness be known to all. 
The Lord is at hand. You know what's in my heart today? And I know our church is already that way. I mean, I know I'm, I'm preaching. I, I know we've all been together long enough. That, I mean, we all are like-minded in this. My prayer is that now, even more than ever, and in the years ahead, that we could be a church who has found the balance of what Paul spoke of in the book of Ephesians, where he said, speak the truth in love. Some people, they speak the truth, but there's not any love. They're one degree off. Some people, in the name of love, everything goes. Yes, but there's no truth. They're one degree off. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, speak the truth in love. If we could figure that one out and be a church and be a people as individuals that say, you know what? I have my convictions. I can't back down from what is taught in the Scriptures, and I I don't want to. But also I have to remember that love and kindness and gentleness is also taught in the Scriptures. And let me say this as I come to the end. If you today are a Republican, it would be wrong for you to hate the Democrats. And if you are a Democrat, it would be wrong for you to hate the Republicans. You can disagree. You can debate. You can vote against the other side and vote for your convictions, which is I do. I've already told you how conservative I am. And yet, it would never be right. To live our lives with no love, no kindness, and no gentleness. What did, what did Jesus say in John chapter 13? He said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have the perfect theology. Is that what Jesus said? No. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you're orthodox. No, no. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you're conservative. No. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you're liberal. No. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. One of the things I love about First Baptist Pasadena, it is a place where the truth is taught and revered, but it is also a place where love is extended and freely given. And I encourage you today, not just when it comes to politics, I, in every area of your life, as I know God convicts me in every area of my life, to stand on truth and don't ever compromise that, but to always be a person of love and of kindness and of gentleness. Amen? And Father, this is your word, and I can tell today that this was what you wanted to be spoken. God, I thank you for the warm and affirming response that I have felt in here. And it's, an, it's just another affirmation. God, I really think all I'm doing today is verbalizing what people sitting in the pews feel. And based on text messages I received between service, verbalizing what people at home feel. God, I thank you for this type of a church, a church that doesn't compromise the truth, but that makes much of love and that tries to always walk in love. 
God, help us to be that kind of church. Help us to be that kind of people, that kind of individual, that kind of human being. In Jesus' name.